0: Welcome to the BASTO podcast, conversations with big thinkers about the big questions in education and leadership today. I'm Angela Scafidi. Catherine Parker Odette is the Faculty Director, Learning and Teaching at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. She's an author, academic, consultant, and thought leader, with a particular focus on using data to improve learning and teaching. Kathy is also the faculty chair of the Datawise Leadership Institute at Harvard. Kathy was at Basto recently to introduce the institute to more than one hundred education leaders from across Australia and overseas. This is the first time Harvard has chosen to facilitate Datawise outside of the United States. Keep an eye out for the next intake coming to Basto in twenty twenty. We spoke to Kathy about data, collaboration, and equity in education. So, Kathy, you've written extensively about data and the important role that it plays in learning and teaching. Why does it matter? Why is it so important?
1: Um, I feel like data gives us a window into what's working, um, what students are learning, what they're not learning, um, and it allows us to ask really important questions about our own practice. Um, And so being able to look at evidence of student learning. And here I mean broadly defined evidence, um, everything from a standardized state test all the way down to an exit ticket. I don't know if you guys have that expression, but like something that a um, you would have a student answer as they're walking out the door of a class that just gives you a quick read. Did they get it? Do they know um, what Um, what I want them to know at the end of this class. Um, That just can provide really powerful guidance to teachers. So you're not shooting in the dark. So around the globe, in every industry, uh, people are getting more and more savvy about how to use information for decision making, how to present information in ways that people can quickly see patterns and understand um, when action might be needed, potentially what kind of action. And in education, uh, we should accept uh, nothing less. And I'm not saying we um, need to have like, you know, a ticker tape of information going by, but we need to um, embrace the extent to which evidence can help us do our jobs better.
0: So there are great benefits in using data properly for school improvement. What are some of the risks or the potential traps? So,
1: gosh, there's so many. <laughs> I just I I feel like um, uh, data, or I gotta call it data with you, right? Yes. <laughs> data um, <laughs> is uh, it, can, it can be used as a as a weapon as easily as a as a tool, and um, I think um, the the Challenges come when people assume the data means more than it. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say data, so I'm just going to say data. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, when people read too much into the data and they think that okay, um, this is the this is truth, um, and not understanding sort of the the assessment literacy that's needed to appreciate um, what what kind of conclusions, what kind of inferences can be drawn from the the data. Um, so I feel like that that's one concern. Um, it also can be used to um, sort of reinforce stereotypes about particular subgroups. So if you sort of look at um, uh, comparisons, um, people might use it to just, oh, confirm, that's what I would have expected from that particular group and not, not really sort of dig in and understand um, what's under the numbers. So I think that's a piece of it. Um, people can use data just to blame. They can use it to uh, to point fingers and say, um, you know, well, that that it's that teacher's fault for um, a particular set of outcomes, or it's that kid's fault, or it's their family's fault. I mean, there's just there's just a lot of ways in which um, it can be used negatively. But but there's so many positives too. I hope you'll ask about
0: those. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, what are some of the positives of using of using data? <laughs> data. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the best
1: part of um, is when you use data to get a common understanding of um, what students know, um, what teachers know about sort of their own students, about their craft, um, and when you use that to to ground a conversation. Um, because so often teaching happens um, in silos. I don't know if that's as much true here in Australia as it is back home. But where you know, you go into your classroom, you close your door, you do your very best for most teachers, for their children. But to have a grounded conversation with your colleagues where you can talk about what um, what you're seeing. In, in terms of student learning and have a real back and forth about what does that mean about your teaching. Um, I feel like that's really powerful. It 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 can um transform the uh what it means to be a teacher from um just uh sort of a solo kind of thing to a very collaborative enterprise where you personally are just trying to get better at what you do all the time and you've got some data to to check
0: and see how you're doing with that. It's interesting that you talk about collaboration because that obviously is a really important starting point. How do we do that well? How do we, as as a, as a, as a sort of leadership team in a school, how do we kick off that collaboration process?
1: Mm. Um, I've done a lot of thinking about that um, because because it is so important, um, and I think the the most important thing is to develop a sense of trust among people on the team. And that sounds like a like a highfalutin thing. Like you know, um, you know, my to do list for today is to establish trust with my colleagues, and so we've thought of ways that you can kind of break down that that sort of really it can be a long term goal um, into doing some more intermediate things that can um, s- sort of work toward that. And so I'm thinking about. Um, Everything from just establishing sort of norms of interaction, uh, actually agreeing on um, how are we going to work together. What are what are sort of our standards for um, whether we're going to show up on time to a meeting, um, whether we're going to stay on topic when we've agreed to something. Um, uh, well, I guess my favorite norm is um, sort of assuming positive intentions. Just as we're going to we're going to. Start out that we all agree, or we all believe that um, we mean the best for children, and take that as a starting place. Um, we've actually had to add to that norm um, and take responsibility for impact because um, sometimes if uh, you assume positive intentions of somebody, um, but they they say something that sort of that hurts or that that sort of um, gets you wrong, that you need to be able to then tell the person um, how whatever they said was received and they need to take responsibility for like, oh, I, I respect that that was your experience of what I said and, and have that back and forth. And I mean, it, it gets down to kind of um, helping people um, not avoid but be able to sometimes lean into conflict or if not open conflict, disagreement. Um, and uh, for that um, having a norm around taking an inquiry stance and um, asking a question before you assume you understand what the person's trying to get at, it's like tell me more about um, uh, what what you mean by that, or um, a norm around um, uh, grounding statements and evidence, like what what did, what do you see that makes you say what you just said um, can be. That can be a really powerful thing. So, so norms, um, it, you know, it's the kind of thing you do on you know the first day, ideally, of working with a group, and then you have got to think about um, how we're we going to keep those norms alive, so we get the trust, which is the sort of the end goal, where we can um, we can push each other.
0: So those norms sound great. They sound really helpful. Mm-hmm. How do you keep them alive
1: beyond mm. that first
0: interaction? Um, you got to
1: keep coming back to them. You have to, um, I mean, so we do simple things like put them on the walls or when we're running an institute, we'll have a, a norms tent with the, the sort of norms listed so that they're kind of, you know, in people's vision. But much more important is having conversations about how are we doing on those norms and creating a safe enough space that people can um can acknowledge when maybe, you know, I'm not sure that we're really sticking to evidence here and, you know, talk talking about that. Um, so um, one of my favorite things is just um, that, that norms tent that's on the table, um, having people at the beginning of a, a meeting sign their initials to a norm that they would like the group to help them work on. And um, that can be a really positive way of saying, you know, I'm inviting the group to support me in this, um, and um, then if you can go the extra step and say, "And what what would help you?" So the you know the one that comes up so much is "be here now." So that's a norm that we would love in Datawise, but in this world of um, you know handheld phones where you can get instant information about what's happening on the other side of the world, um, sometimes you know somebody will say, "I have trouble being here now," but it would help me if um, we all agreed to put our cell phones in the center of the table for this meeting. Or it would help me if you see me um, sort of glancing at my email, if you kind of just, you know, give me a little elbow. Um, to be authorized to support somebody like that in collaborating is um,
0: uh, can be really liberating, actually. Great. Thank you. So many of our listeners will know a lot about DataWise. But for those of us who are less familiar, can you briefly explain what underpins the methodology? Um,
1: sure. So I'd say um, at its heart, uh, DataWise is helping people to learn to work together, to seek the truth through um through evidence, and I define evidence very broadly here, so I don't want listeners thinking, "Oh, she's talking about you know state test scores or something like that." We're talking about a broad range of evidence, um, you know, student work, conversations with students, projects, oral reports, all of that, using all those things together to figure out how to do the right thing by children, how to. Hold everybody, um, and we talk a lot about all students, holding all students to high expectations where they can learn, and acting and adjusting on our own instruction to, to give each student
0: what he or she needs. So what you're encouraging us to do is to really think very broadly about data, the data we tap into, the data we use, and how we think about it, and think beyond what, where we would normally go for that, for that data.
1: Absolutely. DataWise was born out of sort of a sudden preponderance of data that was available through our No Child Left Behind um, Act. And what happened was that people were very narrowly defining data to mean whatever the score was on the state tests that was being used to stay in compliance with that act, um, that, that was the be-all, end-all. And um, we felt there was some tremendous dangers in doing that because, um, you know, a, a state annual assessment um, is going to tell you—it's not going to actually really tell you much of anything about what an individual kid needs um, instructionally in order to learn. It will help you figure out what questions you might want to ask, what data you might want to dig into more deeply to understand. And so with DataWise, we say if you're going to start with um, the sort of high-level, high-stake standardized type tests— Um, that needs to be a launching point for um, a more in-depth inquiry into Um, what's actually being produced and I just I love the the data that is something written in students own hands so you know um, student writing um, students sort of drawing projects Um, I love being sort of a fly on the wall watching a group of students having a conversation about an assignment and that's data I mean who's who is understanding what's being asked? Who's pushing back? Who realizes the assignment itself is confusing? And I mean that—that that helps you get a window into student
0: thinking, and that's—that's that's what we're shooting for. So, Kathy, we've talked a lot about student data, but what about data around teaching? So
1: critical. I mean, I, I really think of um, student data and teaching data as two sides of the same coin, and. Um, Sort of a, a great failure would be to go straight from looking at uh, student performance data to boom. What does that mean for our action plan? Because you want to look at what does our teaching practice look like, and um, this can be this can feel um, like a very personal thing to allow people to come into your classroom. And here I'm talking about. Teachers watching teachers, but still that can that can feel like an invasion or like you don't feel safe, like you're trying to put on um, some kind of a show. But what the the ideal is when teachers can develop an ongoing practice of getting into one another's classrooms, looking for evidence of. Um, what kind of instructional practices are being used, how are those being received by the children, and then stepping back with colleagues and looking for patterns. So um, if we either physically visited one another's classrooms over um, a period of time or even just watch videos of one another's practice, what are the patterns we're seeing in how we interact with children? Um, a, A pattern that often gets discovered that you don't even know you're doing it until you have the uh, ability to step back and look at practice, is teachers doing too much of the talking, Um, teachers answering their own questions. And it's not what they they mean to do. They they think that they're providing opportunities for students to really, um, you know, sort of struggle through um, a piece of analysis. But when they watch a video of themselves or of their colleagues teaching, they'll say, wow, we're jumping in so quickly. So when teachers have the luxury to, in a safe environment, look honestly at what's happening in practice, uh, they're able to observe patterns that they might not have otherwise been aware existed, but that they know um, need to be addressed in order for students to have the opportunities to do the kind of deep thinking that will allow for the the
0: kind of achievement
1: that they want for
0: kids. So I'm sure our listeners will be very interested to understand how we might measure improvement across a system. Love to hear your thoughts on how we might do that. Mm.
1: Um, So, I mean, so we like to think about a system ideally as modeling the kind of commitment to continuous improvement that they expect of schools. And so that requires that the system-level leaders are willing to um, engage in inquiry themselves and to look at um, their learners. So when we're talking about a school context, um, it's pretty clear that the learners are the students sitting there in their seats and um, getting the instruction. But um, when you're at the system level, your learners are often principals um, or teachers. So if we think about Principles potentially as being the learners, um, then the system level folks have an obligation to the development of those principles that is similar to what a teacher might have to their students. And so um, people can uh, look at the sort of academic outcomes of a school and maybe look at sort of trends over time and how that school is performing. Um, against its previous performance or how does it perform um, compared to similar schools in the area and trying to figure out from there where, what's the next level of work for this school? Um, it can be, you know, pr- maybe particular um, content areas are um, is in need of improvement or there's subgroups within the school that are falling behind in one school um, and not so much in the other. but the the key um, and what would make it data wise would be if it's not just a matter of seeing a disparity and then blaming the principals, or the teachers within the schools for what they see but it's like what are we doing as a system that is creating the outcomes that we're seeing how are we supporting um, the principal or the teachers what are we putting into place that's allowing them to uh, to deliver the kind of education that that children need and when when that happens and there's a humility that that happens when system level leaders accept responsibility for the role that they play um, that um, I think can be incredibly empowering for schools if they know that that's what's happening. So um, in a in our recent release of our um, massive open online course, we had to add this whole section, which is um, what does it look like for a system to engage in data-wise itself? And the um, hearing from the teachers that, I feel okay, this continuous like hammering away, trying to get better each day, knowing the people at the system level are doing the same thing. And they're struggling. They're trying something, and um, maybe it doesn't turn out exactly the way they wanted to, and they've got to make an adjustment. And so me as a teacher, then I feel like, well, that's what I do too.
0: So it sounds like it's everyone at every level taking responsibility and then supporting each other. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, there
1: can be a sort of, we're all in this together kind of um, moment where um, a, you know, a, a a principal might be talking to a supervisor and saying, you know, we sort of thought we had a handle on uh, what the learner center problem really was and then realized when we got more data that we actually, had, there was a more fundamental issue we had to address first. And, um, you know, a, a supervisor might laugh and be like, oh, that reminds me of when we were doing our previous inquiry cycle, we ran into something like that. And it's just like, this is the way we work this is This is what it means to be a professional in education and um and I think that makes everybody feel like they're part of a shared enterprise
0: so leadership's an essential element in the way we think about systems and networks. Who inspires you as a leader? Mm,
1: I would say I'm most inspired by teachers um because I feel like they're the ones um who are right there in that magical moment where students are um, learning and growing and sort of expanding their their potential and um, just when I when I get to talk to a teacher who's so determined to um, open doors for their students, um, it, I mean it gives me the shivers. And being able to amplify the voices of teachers. So um, DataWise was very much created out of conversation with principals and teachers about what are they doing day to day that is allowing them to uh, to harness data for good. Um, And um, when I get to sort of talk with uh, teachers about how they're doing that, it um, makes me want to keep doing the work that
0: I do. Equity is clearly something that matters to you. What is the link between data and equity?
1: Oh, I love that question. I feel like that's just, um, that is my personal question. I feel like the why that wakes me up, the reason why I want to sort of work hard and and figure things out is because I believe every single kid um, deserves a really high-quality education. I feel like a, the current system um, within my state, my country, our world, um, isn't set up for everyone to have equal um, opportunity. And so um, I feel like we need to be able to shine a light on the places where inequities exist, and um, data can be very powerful for that um, in terms of um, giving people some kind of incontrovertible Uh, evidence that um, either certain subgroups are um, underperforming or uh, children with disabilities are not um, able to achieve the the levels that we know they could or should be able to. Um, And um, so being able to point to evidence allows for a very grounded conversation in um,
0: what needs to get better. So this work very much aligns with your purpose, your sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I find um,
1: more and more as we work with schools, we realize that you don't want to lead with, and now we're going to um, bring in a, a data inquiry process because nobody is inspired by a data inquiry process in and of itself, right? But if you can um, get people to think about um, what's what's that, what are each person's individual why, and what's our shared why as a school or as a system. Um, what what brought us all into education in the first place? I bet it wasn't data. I bet it was because we believe that um, education can be a really powerful lever for um, increasing equity in this world, for um uh, developing students that are capable of solving the problems that will give us a more sort of just and, and livable planet. And um, th- if you can tap into that why, then data becomes a tool. It's a, it's a tool for serving a purpose
0: as opposed to an end in and of itself. I'm sure that there are lots of people listening in saying who love data, who are saying, that's why it matters. That's what I've been trying to say. <laughs> and you've said it so eloquently. If you were a leader in a school or a network today, where would you focus your energies?
1: I mean, I think building a team that is focused on student learning um, is is critical. Uh, taking the, the time to build a sense of shared purpose um, and showing people that what you're looking for is long-term um, massive. I hear that word so much here in Australia. but we're we're looking for um for substantial, deep instructional changes as opposed to the much more standard, um, oh, I looked at the data. It seemed like um people were scoring poorly on these four questions. So let's reteach the content of those four questions. And that's um that is not what's going to motivate people to, want to be sort of all in. So um, creating a sense of shared purpose that this is about making fundamental changes in the relationship between students and teachers and the content that they teach, that magical instructional core that is so um, much in the vernacular, um, helping people believe that that's what we're about, and then creating the structures around the team that allow it to be successful. I mean, I talked uh, earlier about the power of norms. I also believe very strongly that um, uh, thinking about the way meeting time is used is absolutely critical for leaders. So um, if, if you're a leader and you feel like, um, gosh, I've got, you know, so many meetings and it just seems like it's such a waste of time. It's keeping me from the real work. Well, look closely at those meetings and if you have control over how they're run, um, how cl- how clear are the objectives for a meeting? Um, uh, have we set up roles so that it's not always the leader who is um, facilitating a meeting, but maybe that role is being rotated and we're getting sort of Multiple perspectives on how to run an effective meeting and multiple um, voices in in the conversation. Um, I feel like that can that can be a really powerful lever. I mean, one one thing we find sometimes is because um, we have we have the Data Wise book, which talks about the eight step um, improvement process. But um, soon after we wrote that, we realized we needed a whole book just about how to run a good meeting because what happens is if if the work of DataWise takes place in meetings and those meetings aren't um, being effective, you're, you're not gonna get the results. And so um so we often have people say, let's let's start with thinking about how we use our collaborative time, developing a whole new way of doing business around um treating those meetings as places where learning happens, not just like information getting delivered to people, but um actually maybe even bringing in some of the best practices we know about adult learning or, you know, anybody learning is um, giving people rich opportunities to test out their thinking, um, giving multiple people voice. Um, it's, uh, it's it's a very powerful lever for changing um, the culture.
0: I've heard that you apply all of this thinking in your own context, in their own work that you do, who <laughs> told you that <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, through the great um, are, are there lear- learnings along the way for you around kind of what's you know what you've tried and what's worked, and you know, how to bring some of this to bear week by week, day by day? Um, yeah, I mean,
1: we we feel like to to be credible, um, uh, we need to practice what we preach. Um, that was, I think, partly how we got. Um, sort of started, but um, I find that I still think meetings are hard. And so uh, I would say that It's uh, doing what we call um, sort of a plus delta protocol at the end of every meeting that has um, allowed me to keep my sense of humor around um, meetings and to not expect that they have to go perfectly every time. And so um, you ask everyone um, at the meeting to say, uh, what's a plus? What's something that worked really well in the way we interacted um, together during this meeting? And then what's a delta? So that's the Greek symbol for change. What would you have changed about this meeting to make it even better, and we find, if we can model often at the beginning of a meeting, if I'm working with a new group, um, like, what's a nice, juicy delta? So a delta, like, I wish we had coffee. Um, that's <laughs> that's not a—yeah, um, yeah, that'd be a nice change. And um, I actually then do provide coffee the next time to show, look, I'm going to pay attention to these deltas. We're going to do something different. Um, but, uh, but, you know, a delta about— um, well, I noticed that only about half of us spoke up in this meeting and I'd, I'd love to hear from more people. Then you can enter your next meeting say, "Okay, so a delta coming out of our last meeting is we didn't hear from everybody and we're going to put into place the following things that will allow for more equity of voice." Um something something like that so that the meeting itself is a co-created um uh enterprise where we're we're all taking responsibility for being effective in working together and learning together.
0: So the people listening in could use that that plus delta. Right there. Yeah.
1: Go yeah, and I, I didn't make it up. I I'm not even sure who did. It was just sort of in the in the water, but it I would say for for listeners, it could be the simplest yet single biggest um thing you could do to get yourself on a path toward continuous improvement would be to um to have conversations about the process that you as a team are using and be open to changing it. And when people see that you made a change as a result of a delta that was offered in a meeting, um, you'd be amazed at how much better the deltas get the next time because they're like, wow, all right, well, this this is not an exercise we're doing. This is a practice. This is something that we're, we're committing to. Um, uh, so I think it, I think it's it's
0: as close to magic as I've found in this world. Kathy, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me here. I just, I feel like um, this work is so close to my heart and the opportunity to, to talk with your listeners about um, something that matters to all kids. Um, it's been wonderful. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Besto Educational Leadership Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, why not tell your friends and colleagues and join us next time You'll find episodes on the Basto website and you can listen or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.